0: Get the house you want with the payment you want at buywithconrad.com. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this at buywithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender. The first step to buying a house is buywithconrad.com.
1: briscoe and Bradshaw. i would be Bradshaw. that would be the wwe hall of famer oklahoma's favorite son mr gerald briscoe and we've got one of the best funniest and most entertaining guys we've ever run across in the history of wwe he was a major force in the creative writing team but more importantly he had the greatest character in the history of professional wrestling big dick johnson big dick welcome Yo.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. I'm uh, super excited to be here and to, and to chat with you two guys. I'm sure we've got some great stories to uh, to talk about and and, uh, and uh, let people in on.
3: <laughs> so, so and I, like, I, like JBL said, we're so happy to have you. You know, we, 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 we want to get everybody on here and, and, you know, all walks of WWE. And you were so instrumental in a lot of great uh, uh, uh Angled in skits that happened with WWE, so we're going to get your side of the story, probably some of the most entertaining stories uh, that went on during that time, man, but welcome to the show, man, we're we're thrilled to have you. I'm
2: super excited to be here. (laughs) Let's
1: do it. Krista Joseph, oh, I should have said the full name is uh, the real name, okay. but uh, so do you ever like introduce yourself? Because uh, like a lot of times the, the boys always introduce themselves by their working name, uh, but, that, but and for good reason. You know, a lot of times we didn't want to make the mistake of using somebody's shoot name on television, so we always called each other by, you know, their working name. Did you ever just introduce yourself and stick your hand out and say, hey, how, how you doing, big dick?
2: No, (laughs) I I never did not once, but people always, you know, I had everybody called me DJ anyway. So I guess I had that part. I just left the B off off of
3: it. We always heard you went up to Mae Young said, Hey, I'm Big Dick Johnson. She said, I want to meet you. Would you come to my room tonight?
2: (laughs) Where'd you hear that story? I I didn't think anybody knew about that. (laughs) Uh, DJ, what, what, you know, you're, you're, you're,
3: you're a writer, you know, and you came to uh, WWE and, you know, as you know, and you found out there, you know, the writing staff and the talent and the office, I mean, it's, they, they very seldom, you know, get to know each other and to find out what each other is all about. But you just had that personality where you cross that line and everything. Uh, your personality. I mean, what, 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 what attracted you to wrestling and what kind of, I got you into the WWE because it's so unique, and I think a lot of people out there want to know. I got talent writing. How do I get into that stuff? How, how do I, how do you tell them your story?
2: Yeah, for me, it was basically. I mean, I love wrestling my whole life. Um I just, I guess, the, the the theater of it, and the excitement, and the action. um I just fell in love with it, and I think it was kind of like passed down throughout my family. Like, I even remember my great grandma watching wrestling at home, and like you know, it's just like Where's something that Louis or where, 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 where'd you grow up? Where do you originally? Up? Well, I was, I was born in Connecticut actually. So, so the WWE is right, like right in my backyard, but then I moved to Las Vegas as a kid. And, um, I ended up basically watching more WCW just because they were there all the time. So, you know, go to shows and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, I, I kind of fell in love with it. Then I, I kind of reached a point in my life, like after college, I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. <laughs> and uh, we, you know, we my still dad's dull. like, me, "Me and Jerry yeah. still dull. We have no <laughs> idea." My dad's like, "Well, you better figure out something soon because, like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not giving you another dime." And <laughs> and I was like, "You know what? I'm I want to work for the WWE." And um, so I moved back to Connecticut, and I was just. I, 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 funny. I worked at a liquor store <laughs> to try to make money, so I could figure out a way to get into the WWE. I, I would bring my resume by there, here, and there, and eventually, my uncle um, had had a friend who was a used car salesman who sold a car to one of the lawyers at WWE and ended up getting my resume and then I got an internship in the international department for Tommy Carlucci. I had interviewed with all these people but only Tommy was really the only one who like got it because when you went there they're like you can't say you're a fan. You can't say you're a fan but like I just told Tommy i was like yeah I'm a big fan and he loved that and then, you
3: got hooked Tommy Carlucci one of the nicest guys in in the yeah. WWE WWF yeah. long-time employee of his wife and that everybody I mean you you will hooked, hooked up with the right guy and his yeah. son
1: Jerry and his son uh, named Tommy also has been working there for quite some time uh, a uh, budding drummer in a in a band
2: hell of a drummer
1: yeah yeah he's a, he is he's a really good drummer <laughs> But Tommy Carlucci, one of the nicest guys in in the in, in our business history. I mean, just just a wonderful guy, and really knows his stuff. A good good competent guy too.
3: So he was up yeah. telling you, don't tell everybody you've been a fan all
2: your life, right? That's what everybody had told me going in, into, into the interviews. But I, Tommy and I, just started talking about wrestling, and he knew I was a fan, and I think he he liked that part of it. And I was like, and you know, he ended up hiring me, and uh, I was I was an intern for him for like eight months, but they I was like getting paid hardly anything. Um and I was like I working with Hugo and Carlos on on Spanish, Smackdown. I didn't speak a word of Spanish, but I, I had to stay up until like four o'clock in the morning and and and, and record SmackDown. Wait, wait a what were you doing on spanish smackdown <laughs> because i think it was because i was the only one willing to stay at work until like four o'clock in the morning and just watch wrestling over and over and over and over again because like when you're an intern there especially in the international department you have to watch every version of like each show so in all the different languages so i was one person i didn't really mind i was like oh i get to watch raw like five times like this is great I'm like i'm getting paid for this this is amazing <laughs> so uh, you watched did, how, how did you uh, know what
1: they're are talking about did did you
2: watch the did you have translation there for it is that how you did it no <laughs> i didn't know i didn't know what they were talking about at all you're mostly just watching for like qc things so like for instance like like saudi arabia smackdown couldn't have like women in it or if there was blood it'd have to be black and white and like there's just certain protocols for each country um and what they always wa-
1: DJ I always wondered you know like like the German commentators they seem very competent and I'm sure they are but it's like I don't think anybody wants to hear.
2: Nobody knows what they say, right? Yeah, they can they could be completely off on whatever on whatever they're talking about. But I had a feeling that Hugo and Carlos were pretty good with it.
1: Yeah, I think I think both those guys are really good. They've been, certainly been around a long time. Yeah, you know the legend um, was that Tito didn't speak much Spanish. <laughs> and Tito Santana. I've never asked Tito about it. In fact, I'd love to ask him about it, but the legend was that Tito didn't speak much Spanish and wasn't really fluent in it, and Vince had him doing commentary, and Tommy Carlucci and guys would go to Vince go, you know, he doesn't speak Spanish that well. Eventually. Oh, it's fine.
3: <laughs> That's a true story. We had him here in Florida, you know, and we got a, a huge Hispanic population down there, and Eddie Graham would always try to get him to speak Spanish, and he did tell all the guys, I I, I can't do what Eddie's supposed to, uh, what Eddie wants me to do, what I do. And everybody just, well, just, you know, do what you can do, and he won't know the difference. And, and that's how Tito got by
1: here in Florida. Put the history, I guess he just said Ariba a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're watching like Russian, German, all this stuff? Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. All day long. And that, and, uh, and so I, I was like, uh, probably eight months in, I was like, I wanted a full-time job. And I kept asking, they're like, oh, sorry, there's no positions open. So I was like, well, I'm going to go over to HR and I'm going to find some position. They had like a big board with like all these positions on it. And I was like, I saw a writer's assistant. I was like, I want to do that. <laughs> and uh, and they're like, well, usually, usually we usually hire people from Hollywood and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, you have to write a script and I was like, I'll write a script. They're like, well, you have like, you have a month to get us a script. I said, like, I'll have you one tomorrow. And, and I wrote a script in one night, a SmackDown script, and I, I brought it in. And I gave it to Tommy. And I think Tommy gave it to Michael Cole, who like liked it. <laughs> and then um, I think Stephanie ended up seeing it too. And then I ended up getting an interview for a writer's assistant position. And uh, I got it.
1: So are you like the uh, the dog that caught the car at this point? When you're like <laughs> you like the writers, assistant, you like what do I do now?
2: Yeah, it's basically yeah. Then I got to basically do whatever Michael Hayes tells me, and like you know, my first day meeting him, I was just like, oh my god, who is this guy? Like you know, like <laughs> I, I'd seen him on TV and all, but I just didn't realize that the the, the actual person was you know, the legend was
3: true,
1: wasn't it? Michael's the only person that his character was a toned down version of him. Toned down. (laughs) Not not ramped up. Toned down.
2: (laughs) So, like, you know, I think like one of the, you know, um, and like some of the phrases that were coming out of his mouth, I just couldn't believe it. But I was so happy. I was like, man, this is cool. This is like awesome. Oh, I forgot. So, my first day on the job, our first day I was going to interview with Stephanie, I had to, they made me, even though I was working there and I had work to do, like I had to like cut bumpers for like velocity or something like that. And, uh, <laughs> and I had to, they made me go sit in the lobby to wait. And then all of a sudden Ted DiBiase walks in and sits down next to me. Now I'm expecting like Ted DiBiase to be like, ah, money, 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 you know, like the big personality He's just like. Hi, how are you? I'm Ted. <laughs> it's like, oh man, this is not exactly. I did not expect to, uh, the Million Dollar Man to be like that when I first met him. But he then, but then he interviewed before me, and then we actually, I think, both started on the same day.
1: Was that when he was with Creative? Yes. Yep. I'd forgotten about that. I remember when Ted. I remember now when Ted was there. I'd forgotten that Ted was was part of Creative. <laughs> I, Ted, I think Ted he was absolutely he had good. the interview.
2: Yes, he had to interview. <laughs> Didn't they know who he was? Right, exactly. That's what I couldn't believe. <laughs> so you're sitting I, in line waiting like, to I'm interview like with in, Ted DiBiase.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is this is incredible. This is absolutely incredible. <laughs> and, and then he got called in before me, of course. And then and then he then uh, I got called in after him. Stephanie, <laughs> one that interviewed you guys. Yes, yeah, Stephanie. Yep. Yeah. Well, but I had to have it. Was I had to have it before I could get to Stephanie. I had to have an interview with Brian and Michael and, and like the whole uh, the whole writers group. And and um, they gave me like a bunch of crap because because I, I I didn't say hi to them or anything like that. Like because I was everybody at the studio was like terrified of them. So they're always told you, like, don't talk to anybody. Like, don't say hello to them them like yeah, stay away from
3: that him. strange dj i mean you're you're told you know you're working don't talk to these people i mean <laughs> a lot of people have told me that you know they were uh, if you see vince don't talk to him turn the other way why Why? <laughs> <Right. laughs>
2: exactly they're like yeah go the other way don't don't talk to anybody and then i remember telling people in, in the department that i was moving on to the writers team they're like well you'll be fired in about three weeks so uh yeah that's not a very wise choice you should have stayed in your job
3: so uh, the interview obviously went well with Stephanie, and uh, when yeah. did you know? Did you know right away that you were hard? Why did she look at your script that you would written for Tommy?
2: Yeah, yep. She looked at that and then asked me a bunch of questions, and she was just really nice, to be honest with you. And then, uh, and then she said that I had talked to the team and that they were okay with bringing me on, and I started that next day with like coffee for everybody, and. <laughs> So That's pretty what, much what you do then. What was what the, what were the questions asked for
1: like an interview for a creative
2: team? Uh gosh, I'm trying to remember. It was a long I time.
3: That's your experience. I worked, what did you? I worked in a bar. <laughs> yeah,
2: I was just did, trying. Did not you lie about your experience? <laughs> yeah, I didn't lie. I didn't lie about my experience because I I at least had I had eight months that I was working for Tommy already. So that was. At least I had that. Um, And then she was like, oh, can you take good notes? I said, yes, which I was terrible at doing that. Um, (laughs) But but for the most part, I was just trying to keep my eyes up looking at her her in the face because she had like this like nice shirt on. And I was just like, I couldn't help myself. (laughs) I was like, stay calm, stay calm. But uh, yeah, it, it worked out. I forget like some of the stuff Michael asked me was just absolutely like or like crass stuff. It was, I can't, I can't remember. I think he might've told me to, To. Uh, can we swear on this? <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about Michael A's, we can. <laughs> yes. Uh, he might've told me to kiss his dick and make it a love story. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I was going to ask you what was your first storyline when you just told me.
2: you go. right? And he also, he also told me way before it's, it's uh it's fuck me, it's fuck you, and that's what you tell me. So. Oh yeah,
1: I've heard Michael say that a million times. <laughs> Michael says some of the craziest things you've ever heard, and somehow it seems normal coming out of his head.
2: Yeah, here I am. I'm like 23 years old, like with this, with this kind of like yeah, scary guy with <laughs> with long hair who's half in the bag, and I'm like, this is awesome. I I'm, I love this.
3: <laughs> you immediately go on the road, DJ, because that that had to be a hell of a change too, you know, from
2: being on Oh yeah. And and and, and, and were, you, <laughs> were, you on the, were you on the corporate jet right away? Yes, right away. And wow. yeah, that was that was terrifying. And at the time you had to have like so many copies that like I had like, I mean, I must have been walking around with like a hundred-pound bag with like every document, everything, because you never know, like. What vince would ask for like he's does he want the long-term storyline grid does he want a script of this show does he want last week's show like you just never knew so you just always had to have it and the other thing that that was tough is that you had to fax and maybe this was like part of a test i don't know you had to fax vince the show whenever it would come out so sometimes the show would come out at three o'clock in the morning so like i don't think i slept at all for like my first year i was there because i was always so nervous that i had to be awake to make sure that if anybody needed anything, it was nuts. And they call you 24
3: seven. There's no wow. When you're working in that office, you
2: you never know. Yeah. There's, there's really no time off (laughs) or anything like that. Little did I know that then, but I mean, I was loving it. It was exciting. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't believe, you know, being on the on the corporate jet for the first time. It was just like it was terrifying, but it's like so exciting at the same time.
1: The, the so security James- guard from a uh, uh, former cop from uh, Florida, Jim, I think it's Jim, right? Um, yeah, Jim super, Kelly super guy, super guy. I'm just oh, I his last name. Not Jim Tellis. Jim Tellis was a super guy as well, but. Uh, the one from the, from Florida, just nicest guy in the world. He gets on the plane for the first time. You know, he's the, he's the security. Hogan's on the plane. Stone Cold's on the plane. Vince is the last one on the plane. So I'm sitting there, and all he wants to do is not be noticed. He just wants to get on and be completely ignored. You know, and so you know how overwhelming that corporate plane is. So when he yes. walked in – I had met him, you know, a couple times. You know, shook his hand, said hello to him, asked him where he's from, all that stuff. So, I said, "I said, there you go right there. And I, get, I told him to sit in Vince's seat. <laughs> Vince gets on the plane, and he sees this new guy sitting up there with Hogan and all these guys in his seat. He goes, how about we uh, switch seats, pal? <laughs> and Vince is very nice about it. To this day, he hasn't forgiven me for that. He came inside the back. He goes, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. I've got a gun. I'm going to kill you. (laughs) You know what? He actually might shoot me. He he really might. (laughs) (laughs) One of
3: those guys that will.
2: (laughs) That's right. Yeah, because he did have a gun. (laughs) I I was fortunate enough, like for my first three months, that Vince had just blew out his quad so he wasn't on the plane for the first three months that I was there so I got to get to, got to get to know the lay of the land before I actually had to interact with him in any way so that was kind of a, 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 a blessing in disguise for me I think. Were you, were you at TV when Vince blew
1: out his quad uh, was, was it when he blew out his quad lifting or when he blew out his quad in the ring?
2: At the, at the Royal Rumble yeah at the, at the Royal Rumble I, okay, I, okay. I was I, I was doing Spanish Royal Rumble from <laughs> from, from, yeah, from the Here's
1: a little gift-giving wisdom from Omaha Steaks. Dads want steaks. And with Father's Day around the corner, there isn't a better gift than Omaha Steaks. Visit OmahaSteaks.com top JBLGB in the search bar and order the Dads Want Steaks package for just $99. This limited-time package includes 16 mouth-watering entrees. Guaranteed to love like smoky, tender, bacon wrapped filet mignon, gourmet jumbo franks, and their air-chilled boneless chicken breasts. And for a sweet finish, delicious caramel apple tarts. I'm getting hungry just thinking about them. And as a special gift for my listeners, when you type JBLGB in the search bar and order the Dad's Want Steaks Package, you also get eight free Omaha Steak Burgers. These burgers are full of bold, beefy flavor made from 100% Omaha Steaks, and now they're bigger than ever at a whopping six ounces. Don't wait. Send Dad more than just a gift. Send him an experience he'll love and can share with you. Go to omahasteaks.com and type JBLGB in the search bar and order the Dad's Want Steaks package. You'll get 16 entrees and four desserts plus eight free Omaha Steak Burgers. Omaha Steaks. It just isn't steak. It's the best steak of your life, guaranteed. That's OmahaStakes.com. Keyword JBLGB. So when Vince blew out his quad lifting that one Sunday morning, and we had a pay-per-view after I don't know where we were, but he, he realized that he had he tore his quad off the bone and he realized he couldn't get down to Birmingham and have surgery that day. He had to wait till the next day. So he thought, well, why wouldn't I just fly to TV? So he flew to TV with that torn quad and worked oh all day. He had a, his, his quad was not on the bone. He said they were <laughs> a leg "Right, he was going to have surgery the next day." That's I don't, like well, so happened. much for so much for me calling in sick because I'm hungover, <laughs> right? <laughs> hey, you're on that
3: plane for the first time. Where where did you do raw? Do you remember where, where you guys went? I did wrong?
2: Um, I think. Oh yeah, I think we went to. Um, um the quad cities moline moline wow uh, yep and, and uh yeah we it was moline and i forget what the uh, what the other city that we did after that was and then i think the following week was was minneapolis um for a pay-per-view where uh where where i missed the plane flight the next day to get to green bay <laughs> Why did you do that? <laughs> because I was drinking Jack Daniels with you.
3: <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That wasn't me. You and Bruce went out the night before, was it?
2: No, that wasn't. that.
3: <laughs> no. No, we, we were. Now you, now, you mentioned when I was talking to you about this show, Minneapolis. we're going to talk about Minneapolis. What story is <laughs> Minneapolis? <laughs> Should well, I, should I allow you to to tell this story first of sure, all? Sure.
2: Why, why not? <laughs> um, so was that we, your first? We, was that one of your first TVs? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like my, Holy that was, my cow. First, <laughs> that was like my first pay per view, and 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 Bradshaw had just finished a match with uh, with John Cena, like a no holds barred match or something like that. And I think you were like. I swear you were bleeding through your genes and everything still (laughs) at at the bar with like with like Ron Simmons was there and a couple other people. I can't really remember, but me and this guy, Sean Conaway, who, who, who was the other writer's assistant, we went to the bar to get a drink afterwards. And I think you said you're like, "Hey, you, you, you guys like to drink?" And we were like, "Yeah, we're fresh out of college, man. Like, yeah, we can drink." <laughs> and you're like, "Oh, you think you can, huh?" And then, uh, and then I, somehow I got caught in something that I that I didn't mean to say that I accidentally said. And then the next thing you know, there was a giant tray of uh, of, of Jack Daniel shots, and I and I think we went like shot for shot. And I, all I know is I woke up the next morning. and I was just outside of my hotel room and I woke up and I looked at my phone. I was like, I called Sean and he was like, hello. And he was still in bed. And he's, I was like, we just missed our flight to green Bay, man. We're, we're so dead, man. We're going to get fired. (laughs) And, And then, uh, and then actually we ended up get we got to Green Bay late. We had to sit, we had to walk into the meeting late. And I think you actually came into the meeting and then actually said something nice about, <laughs> about the fact that, that we, that we drank with you that night. So that kind of saved my butt a little bit. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause I thought, I, <laughs> I, thought, I thought, I thought I could help save you. So. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Jerry, I'm okay, sitting Orlando, in my head. I'm all busted open. We're sitting there doing shots, <laughs> and, I, and I see DJ and Sean at the bar. You know, they're two new guys, and I thought, well, I'll invite them over to, to drink with us, and I said, you guys want to come drink? Oh, yeah, we just got out of college. We're, we're like right in our prime.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs>
3: Let me drink, <laughs> Wait,
1: I ordered like I ordered like a case of beer and like 20, thirty <laughs> shots of Jack. <laughs> you, you did the week Clear night, right? Give me hundred shots of Jack, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> DJ will up outside did. of his outside of his hotel room. So I'd golf the next morning. I then I went up there and I found out that he'd gotten in trouble. So I went in the in the production room to make him, you know, try, try to try to try to ameliorate the uh, the problem. <laughs> I figured if I can get Vince laughing, he wouldn't fire it. Yep. <laughs> it worked,
2: <laughs> and he didn't. Thank God. <laughs> that was a fun night. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I couldn't I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw a waitress coming over with two trays of Jack Daniel's shots. I, <laughs> that's when I knew I was like, oh my god, this is way beyond what I've done in college. <laughs> Jerry, we're, Jerry we're, not, we're in our prime. You know, we've been going out every night,
1: and so the Jack Daniels down. I said, just drink with me, <laughs> and okay, okay. You know, one, two, three, four, five, and sorry, a little slower and so. slower.
3: It was a fun night. Did, how, did, how did you find the talent that, that that first month or so when you're in there? Were they were they pretty receptive to you because you know you're a very likable guy? And I, I think all no,
2: all of them, <laughs> no, No, nobody nobody was very receptive to me. It, t- it, it, it took a wh- it took quite a while. I think. Um, I think like the best chance I actually I think when I connected the best with talent was I went on the European tour, and that was probably like the best thing for me was to go on that tour and spend a long period of time like in the bus, riding with everybody and talking with everybody and really getting to know everybody. I think that like, that changed things big time for me to be able to do that. You know, I think that a lot, that had a lot to do with, you know, when
1: they first started bringing in writers, uh, you know, when we first, you know, were in WWE, you know, they, you just had Bruce and, and Pat and Vince, and that was pretty much it. Right. And then you started bringing in writers and, you know, Brian Gewertz was one of the first, and Ed Kosky, you know, who had been there for forever. And, and there was, a, I think, a hesitancy between the boys to the riders. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'm not sure we're going to accept these guys or not, don't know. And then w- when you go out with them, you realize these are just normal guys like we are. And I, and I think that breaks down everything. So, when you talk about the European tour, once the guys realize you're a good guy, there's no issues.
2: Yeah.
3: Well, I, uh, that, that, that was you know, There were so many. The guys coming in and out they, uh, at the time, you know, there was, I mean, we rider's writer's assistant. We had, we had a new bus load. Um, seemed like every week. At the TV. Yeah, I think,
2: for, I think 40 people got fired by the, just in the first few years I was there. <laughs> so it, it was, it was not a job that was that, that had long tenure for most people. And it was usually, I think. A lot of the Hollywood people that brought in just couldn't, couldn't handle it or, or get it or understand it to be quite honest with you uh, um,
3: and the uh, the road pressures of traveling every week too because that, that's a bitch in itself yeah, definitely it's like <laughs> yeah
2: i think by the time i got to like like even at like 30 i was like oh my god like i, I don't know if i can even keep doing this anymore <laughs> it's just like it's it's a lot uh, you know to give you know 100 plus hours a week to it and Never have really any time off.
3: Is, During is really that good. first first session that you were there, what what was one of the first uh, big angles that that you can recall that that you were involved in that you were holding your breath on?
2: Oh gosh, um, I'm trying to think. I, I know, like. Um... Well, I, one of the first things I did is I actually pitched the Miz to, to come on, to come on, on SmackDown. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it took him a while to prove himself too, I think. And, uh, but like, I, I was familiar with him from like his reality TV days and stuff like that. And I just thought it'd be cool to have like a reality kind of guy in, in, in the mix. And like that was like one of the things, but like one of the biggest lessons I learned from was like, Michael Hayes would be like, well, if like, like, stop, stop pitching things for people that that really don't matter until you know what the top of the card is doing you have no business coming up with anything on the on the on the bottom of the card so it's like what's 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 Bradshaw doing what's John Cena doing what's Triple H doing we need to those are those are the 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 ideas you need to come in with first and then and then work backwards and, and fill in the rest which was a great piece of advice because a lot of people would just die on that. Like I got my Simon Dean pitch, you know, and it's like, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, that never would get you anywhere. So it was like, you know, come up with the ideas for the top talent. And that will, that will probably be, you know, a good thing for you to do. Uh, I think like one of my best ideas, I think was like, um, we're trying to figure out edge had just won the title from John Cena and cash in the money in the bank. We're on a meeting. With Vince, and he said, "Well, what would you do if you won the title and you were Edge?" And I said, "I'd have sex with my girlfriend in the middle of the ring with everybody <laughs> <in> to <the> see." <seat." laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> so, so, so that's kind of how how like the, the the that live sex celebration thing happened. really. That's how it came about. Yeah. Just be happy.
1: <laughs> that's a great story. So how, did, how did
3: you
2: explain that to Stephanie and Vance? Uh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but I was like. If I was the rated R superstar, that's what I'd want to do. I'd want to do something rated R on, on TV with my hot girlfriend, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, you know, I, you know, we all know Vince pretty well. You know, when you, when you pitch Vince
2: an idea that you think so far out there, sometimes you just like, oh, I love that. Yeah, <laughs> it was like, I think that was like number four on the list of like, like I had put, like mentioned it to Brian. I think it was like number like that's like lower on the list. It was like we we're reading them off. He's like next, next, next. And then it's like, well, what if, uh, yeah, what if he did that? <laughs> and he's like, oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah you know it's just you
3: never know <laughs> in your travels with wwe i know we, we went to a lot of cities but one city stands out to me where, where is uh bakersfield california does it oh yeah i, I love bakersfield you know when you go to bakersfield
2: california you got to sing a buck owens song in bakersfield california
3: <laughs> <laughs> we weren't aware of this john but write, DJ, every one of these right dj every writer's assistant that
2: ever come in yeah, we have Bakersfield, and what was the requirement? You had to sing, you had to learn a Buck Owens song and then sing it in the ring uh, for everybody. And you had, you couldn't really mess up any of the words. You'd have to get it all right. So people would be swearing.
3: Your, your song was what?
2: Uh, uh, Catch a tiger by the tail. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, well, Jerry, tell them why. Buck Owens from there, and they've got the museum there. They got Dwight Yoakum's uh, motorcycle in the museum. There. Bakersfield, <laughs> California, Bakersfield sound—you
3: know, with all the—so all these city boys, you know, they come through. They join the WWE, where you know me, John. I'm a country boy. I love country Yep. yep. Bakersfield, California, is a shrine to that. You know, you know, uh, Anderson, uh, uh, not John, but from Florida, but the Whitey Ockum, Merle Haggard, you know, Buck yep. Owens, the Crystal Palace, there. So every one of these kids that come in, all right, I'd ask them, I'd give them a quiz on a town, you know, if I knew something good about town. All right, what what, what do you know about Bakersfield, California? I don't know anything. You, What country music uh, singer? from? I don't know. <laughs> buck on, you know, and I'd make them find out. Okay, buck on. I want a buck on song for me by six o'clock. Right, when we're out there rehearsing, you're going to have to go out and stand by the ring, or if the ring's not busy, you'll get in the ring. And you got to sing a buck on song <laughs> we had that came through, including John Carl, Brian Giewert, uh Jennifer Budworth. Every one of them sang their buck on song.
2: They did. <laughs> we, we all sang a buck on song and people would be sweating all day trying to make sure they learned all the words, you know, uh, you know, just like sitting there. Somebody they put on their like their their Walkman or whatever we had at the time. Or iPhone or whatever, and just be listening to the song over and over again. So much so that they were barely getting their work done because they're just trying to learn that Buck Owens song and so they could so they so they wouldn't mess it up at six o'clock. Four doors every open. Afternoon, you know, I just handle mic
3: and got her in a rehearsal, you know, studying and everything. All of a sudden, one of these writers' assistants starts hitting
1: into a Buck Owens song. Everybody, what's <laughs> what is going on?
2: With that? <laughs> Some of the most creative things that WB happened in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I I think I like had popped into Gorilla and Mr. Briscoe was sitting in there, and I sat down with him, and I think that's what he started asking me about Bakersfield, and he's like, "What do you know about Buck Owens?" I said, "Well, not all that much." And he's like, "Well, you better." pick a song and learn it (laughs) because you're going to be you're going to be performing it today I was like oh are you kidding me like I thought he was I thought he was kidding and he's like no I'm not kidding you better go go learn that song
1: (laughs) you know it's amazing to me that you got this multi-billion dollar company and it would completely shut down in the middle of the afternoon to do something hokey (laughs) 100% (laughs) and and gladly and gladly I mean everybody would gladly shut Vince, Kevin everybody would like okay oh yeah Yeah, they'd
2: record it they'd put it up on the on the tron everything (laughs) that's right right. and if you were good you'd get a good you'd get a good response and if you were bad you'd get heckled a little bit
0: If you could change one thing about your home, what would it be? A new kitchen, a new master bath, maybe put in a pool? What if you could do it with no money out of pocket and cheaper monthly payments? Save com can help, and you can even skip your next two house payments. MLS number six five zero eight four equal housing lender, save with dot com.
1: So what is the what is the creative process? So say Monday night raw is over. That's when I guess your next week starts. You get back on Tuesday. What's the creative process for creating from a blank page? I know you have certain storylines that are carrying forward a show for that for the next week, say Smackdown on Friday or Thursday,
2: whatever it was, and then um, Monday Night Raw. Well, the way we did it back then was that, that we would, everybody would come in with your own segments every week. So you'd have to have, so there's 11 segments in Raw, at least there was at the time when it was two hours. you come in with your 11 segments every week, no matter what. And it would, so basically you'd spend like the flight home, like trying to get your segments done before you got to the office right away. Cause you, you didn't really get a day off. You come back from TV and then you're back in the office again, to working on the show for the next week. So that way you can be ready to pitch pitch Vince on like Thursday. So you're basically spending all all day Wednesday, everybody's bringing in their segments to the table, and then they kind of go through and kind of pick the best ones. Um, Sometimes those things are kind of planned out in advance. Like we would basically grid out storylines like week by week, especially like the bigger ones. But a lot of times like things change, Vince changes his mind, something didn't necessarily work. We got a better idea that might be that might, you know, be something completely different. And and then we kind of work backwards from there.
1: Who put the segments together? The 11 segments, who who said these are the
2: segments? Everybody would do your own and then like Brian and Michael would basically decide on what we're going to pitch to Vince and then we would have basically like backups if like so Vince would say, well, "I don't like that idea for the main event." So then we'd have like, you know, two or three backups that we'd use basically from all the ideas that everybody kind of brought to the table just as a backup plan. And sometimes he didn't like any of the ideas and then you just have to go back to the drawing board again. So would, Which, would would
1: you know that would you know your segment uh at least it was it involved say Cena and Edge or somebody would you know that much or would you create a segment completely from scratch I mean I'm asking cuz obviously you don't want a replication of segments of you know people writing different segments right. of Cena or somebody else
2: Yeah yeah so like you know we have an idea like if we knew that like Cena and Edge are, are, are headed towards the pay-per-view we know that they're going to have to have something um for that segment what 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 it what it is everybody would kind of bring different perspective to the table about, about what, what involvement that had. And also, you know, there'd be phone calls to the talent and stuff like that to make sure that they're on board and what ideas they like. Cause that obviously holds hold a ton of weight, especially when you're pitching it to Vince to know that like, yeah, John likes this idea and he wants to do this or um, so that would be, that would be extremely helpful to, 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 to go into a situation like that. But sometimes, yeah, I, Sometimes, I, you know, if, if none of my segments made them, I always kept some in my back pocket just to have, just to throw out in a meeting because I knew I, if he didn't like something, there would be an opportunity to, like, maybe get one of my ideas on if, if I just kind of held some stuff back and kept them in my pocket and then throw them
1: yeah, out And I always tell people that, you know, it, Vince doesn't mind you telling him you don't like something as long as you have an alternative.
2: Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: that's that, that is well, completely Vince doesn't, Vince doesn't care doesn't say I don't, I don't like this. And if, if Vince says, why, I'll go. well, I just don't like it. That that doesn't work. But if no. you say, well, I don't like it because of this, I would rather do this.
2: He'll listen to anything as long as you have yeah. an alternative. Yep. He, he he was always open to any ideas and outside the box ideas. Yeah, as long as you had a plan on how and how you're going to execute it. But I see now
1: why it's so hard to get storylines for so many people because when you have so many shows a week and you got to start off with the top three or four storylines and you're going to debate those storylines and you're going to re-debate those storylines because those are the ones that are drawing all the ratings, it's tough to get to five, six, seven, and eight as far as things that are important. You know, So when you say you only have stuff for the top people, well, there's a reason. You're doing so many freaking shows. I see now why it's so hard to write for – an entire show.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, it, it would be great, but like a lot, a lot of times, like some of those ideas just kind of get, end up getting kind of thrown to the wayside. And and those, unfortunately, I feel like sometimes that, the, the undercard gets a little lost in the shuffle rather than like everybody having a purpose sometimes. And I think that that's like one of the negative things about it to me, I think, is that like, I I, I like the idea of everybody having something to do or being part of it, whether they're on the top or the bottom, but, you know, obviously you have to focus on what's drawing the money and bringing it, paying everybody's uh, salaries. So. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because if you get get the couple, two
1: or three main event stories, right. You you do well. I mean, you do really well.
2: Yeah, and everybody still has a job, and and that's a good thing.
3: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you guys were so stacked with writing. I mean, you, you, how many shows were you actually writing? Were you writing a segment for our our spot for every show that we produced? It was what about four or five at that time? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah about four or five shows wow. a week. Yeah, at the time
3: and then something just to keep up with which characters, which and not not to overlap them at the times.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think like I think at one point on heat, like Matt Stryker fought Johnny Parisi like 100 weeks in a row because <laughs> we didn't have nothing else for them to do. <laughs> I mean, that that was what would happen sometimes is unfortunately like, yeah, the, the guys that didn't make the cut there on Raw, they just end up fighting each other every week on heat, the same people over and over and over again.
1: Yeah, and I've been in that spot before. You know, when you're not being used, <laughs> and all of a sudden you're like, "What am I doing?" You're on heat with who? Oh, with Billy. Uh, okay, what are we doing? Um, with him last week. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they, you, they, they ask him what you're doing, and you realize they don't care what you do. <laughs> what are we doing? Um, one of you, one of you over. <laughs> okay, all right. Since Billy's not here, I'll take that. <laughs> That was how uh, Godfather ended up happening, you know, because me and Godfather, nobody was doing anything with me and nobody's doing anything with Godfather. And we were the popcorn match, you know, the match right after, for those that don't know, right after intermission, you know, to get people back from their popcorn to come sit back in their seats to get ready for the second part of the show in the main event. So me and Godfather are going out there every night and we're just beating each other up. I mean, we're, just, we're trying everything. We're stiff, we're not stiff. We're finally Godfather says, Hey, I'm going to cut a promo. And I said, Please do something. Just do anything. So that's when he <laughs> got out there and said, "You know what I am? I'm a pimp." And the place <laughs> popped. For the first time, we got it. For the first time, we got a reaction. So then he started going further and further and further. And it was all because we we weren't getting over in a house show. And then he started getting over like a million bucks. And uh, that's when he created the whole Godfather gimmick.
2: That's amazing. Did you do a lot of
1: writing for Godfather?
2: Uh, no, I, I, I just like whenever he was just like uh, a guest star or something like that. Um, he would, he would always. Uh, I I'd get to do some stuff with him, and man, it was always, it was always a blast to do that. Who was your favorite, favorite guy? Who was
1: your favorite guy or girl to write for?
2: Oh gosh, hmm. um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I had a lot of fun writing for Jeff Hardy, to be honest with you. I think like a lot of stuff like that was really cool to do. Um, um That, that was, that was quite a bit of fun. And I loved, I love writing for, I loved writing for Vicky and edge. I thought I had so much fun writing for them when they were, when they were a team together, I just like, it was just fun to just be as obnoxious as humanly possible with them and, and just let them go out there and, and and just get so much heat every night. It
1: is amazing. Now, Edge was a terrific heel, but it is amazing how much heat Vicky Guerrero got. Oh, my God. Negative. It was unbelievable. When she just said, excuse me, over and over and over in place, they'd be about to riot. <laughs> and, oh, how I wish I could get heat like that. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> but I had a lot of fun writing for them because it was just it was just fun to to get to like basically, yeah, just anger the hell out of everybody. So that that was that was fun.
1: Edge had all Edge had all the
2: fun. You know, he he
1: had the rated R superstar gimmick where he could yeah. do almost anything. Then he had Vicky Guerrero, who was, and of course Lita was awesome as well, but Vicky Guerrero yeah. as well. I mean, he had the best people to play off. He had just what a run he had.
2: And then he had like then he had like Chavo and like uh and um, Hawkins and Ryder just to just to just to take all the punishment for him every week so he never really he never got touched ever. <laughs>
1: I, I sent him a picture. You know he was in Vikings uh, and 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 I yeah. thought he did a great job. I love Vikings, so when I saw him on it, I thought, oh, this is great. And uh, his last picture where he's standing on a whale well in Greenland or wherever it was, wherever he's supposed to be. You know that was his last scene he did. So I sent him a picture of. Tony Chimmel doing this or the entrance, and I picture him standing on the well. And I said, "Look, after all these years, you're still working together." <laughs> <laughs> I sent it to Chimmel too, and I got like <laughs> I got like an expletive uh, message back, which I can't repeat. <laughs> I text Chimmel almost every day, and most of it's really, really bad stuff. I mean, we're like wishing, oh, him all, wishing he falls Excellent. in a volcano, wishing he falls in a <laughs> sewer, and blows up, stuff like that. Yeah, he takes
2: he takes so much abuse. It's uh, it's amazing,
1: <laughs> and he's just the funniest guy there is. He he yeah. handles it he handles it so well, <laughs> which is why I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever
3: did you ever write where any, anything where Vince just looks at it and said this sucks? Who wrote this
2: and blogs it up? Yes. Uh, yeah, he, once once I wrote I wrote a uh, Chris Jericho promo and he um, and he told me who wrote this an eighth grader this is this is garbage he's like go back to the drawing board and write this thing again and I went back with Chris and we went over it and Chris is like I like this I want to say this and he's like go back to him and pitch it again and so I went and I pitched the same thing to him and Vince was like all right that's much better much better. <laughs> I think I might have changed like a few words, but Jericho's like, no, this is exactly what I want to say. <laughs> go, go pitch it again. <laughs> it's like, he just told me it's the, it's the worst thing I've ever done. I've also, I also ruined R- raw. I'm, I ruined multiple seasons of raw. Uh, the ten, you, I think you that yeah. several times I could recall. Yeah. yeah I, I ruined raw forever for, <laughs> for like, I think one time there was this Dr. Dr. Rios. Remember Dr. Rios? I could oh pitch. yeah. <laughs> so Mick Foley had gotten, had gotten like beaten up and the doctor was checking him for a concussion. So Vince is like, go back there with Dr. Rios. It's like a 15 second scene with just like Dr. Rios, like checking on Mick Foley. And so for a concussion. So uh, Dr. Rios tells him uh, we, we'll go live. And it's like, here we go. We're going live with this shot. And Dr. Rios has like a tongue depressor and has Mick Foley stick his tongue out and and looks down. And, and, and Vince calls me and the gorilla is like, what the hell was that? He's like, he's checking him for a concussion. Why is he like looking down his throat? You know, like this is. He's like, you single handedly have just ruined RAW. I said. <laughs> he goes. I, I said he's a doctor. I said, I said I've never checked anybody for a concussion. I told Doctor Is. I said check on McFoley for a concussion. He's like. Damn it, you got to tell him how to be a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I love – I used to love when Vince would go
1: into hyperbole about you've ruined something. Like you, you, That is the worst thing I've ever seen. And I'm like, Vince, Jim Hurd had the tag team ding-dong, okay? It's not the worst thing. It's not the worst thing ever. It, it's, it might be really bad, but it's not the worst thing ever.
3: I think every one of said in a the, in the Zoom call here has killed killed Monday Night Raw or SmackDown one time or another. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah,
2: yeah,
1: yeah. He I
3: mean, told me one time Bruce Prichard has personally killed it for the last ten years. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Our friend Bruce, we're the only two. We're we're only we're Bruce's only two friends, DJ. In the whole world, I was
2: just te- I was just texting with him a little while ago. <laughs> I, t- I, t- I told him that I was coming on here.
3: <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't warn you. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah well, Bruce is Bruce single handedly ruined stuff many times.
2: <laughs> yeah, but he, he, and he just always comes back for more. You know, <laughs> he's
3: yeah, coming well, back. Tell us, uh, I know you were pals, but Bruce, tell
2: us, tell us one of your Bruce stories. Well, I mean, mean, on on a positive note, the the one thing I think Bruce taught me was like to like when you were producing a backstage scene, like to go in there, even if you didn't have any idea what you're doing, go in there and act like you own the room and you know exactly what you're doing. He's like, because otherwise nobody's going to follow you and nobody's going to listen. So he he always was like, go in there with authority, go in there with a plan. And it was probably like the best piece of advice I had ever gotten once to do that. Because, you know, I was a little shy. You're working with these, Larger than life's talents and like, you don't really know how to, how to behave, but he's just like, go in there and own the room and, and you'll get good. You'll get something good out of it. You know, I don't know if it'll get approved, but at least you'll pretend like you know what you're doing. (laughs) And then eventually, you know, just, just watching him over time and learning from him, you know, as far as like being a producer and a director, like I, you, you learn, I learned quite a bit from him on that.
3: He's hell of a teacher. We we rib him all the time on this show, and we enjoy ribbing him. But but he 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 is truly really one hell of a teacher. You know, he takes a yeah, lot. of Somebody he, and he really respected you and liked you and you and Kapoor and and, and Ed Cost and guys like that. And he he shared so much knowledge. I watched him so
2: Yeah, I mean, I also, um, I mean, just driving around with Bruce's bear. I remember one time, I think I drove him somewhere and he had that, he, he just kept hitting me on the back of the head with his ring the whole, the whole, <laughs> the whole time. Cause he'd be like, who sings this song? I mean, I pretty much got like a lesson in country music uh, on the road with Bruce trying to <laughs> trying to like, you know, we'd be in the middle of Texas somewhere listening to some station and it was some song I never heard of. And he'd be like, you never heard of this song. <laughs> and then, uh, but eventually I, I, you know, I learned them all. I ended up loving it. Bruce knows the words ever every country song there was, I believe. I, I, I swear. I feel like I feel like I had a few uh, we, that we drove together a few times and just, yeah, what's this song? What's this song? What's this song? And you guys knew them all.
1: <laughs> we, we had a shirt that we put out with, they said we couldn't sell it. It was, uh, I'd take a bullet for Tom, I'd put one in Bruce. <laughs> Hey, yeah, we're but, his only but, two friends.
2: In the whole world, we're, we're his only two friends. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, another funny a funny story with Bruce is when I did the, do the Big Dick Johnson thing for the first time, he's the one who convinced me to go all the way. And, like, well, originally I was just going to rip you, off my shirt.
3: Start from the beginning. How did how did Big Dick Johnson kind of walk us through the creative process of <laughs> <Big Dick.
2: laughs> creative process <laughs> i just knew we knew that we we knew that dx was coming back and they were going to play some pranks on mr mcmahon so one idea was that was that there'd be like some male strippers and then brian gorge was like yeah what if there was a chubby male stripper like dj and i was like <laughs> And then I think Vince was like, And and, and you're like, Brian, I'm here in the room. I can hear you. Yeah, I'm like, and they're like, uh, then you're kind of put on the spot, like you're going to do it. So, uh, like, originally I was just going to, like, rip off my shirt or something like that. And then Bruce convinced me to go get, like, a leopard thong and and, (laughs) and have away pants. (laughs) <laughs> and get a, and get a bottle of baby oil and spray it all over Vince's $3,000 suit. <laughs> and uh, I was dumb enough to listen to him. I did it. But, but uh, I ended up, I think like the next week I was in like a match with the Sandman for some reason. It's <laughs> like, this, like uh, yeah. And then like, yeah. Uh, next thing, you know, I was like doing things I never could imagine what were going to happen. <laughs>
0: Who's going to take care of your family if something happens to you? What would they do without your income? If you don't have a plan, you need to go to GoliathLife.com. Get a quick quote for more than 20 carriers. You don't even have to leave the house. If you need a medical exam, they'll send somebody to your house or office. You're in total control. You pick the rates, you pick the payments, you pick the terms. You're in total control, but it gives you and your family peace of mind. What if something happens to your income? Hurry to GoliathLife.com.
2: But yeah, that's kind of how it came about, and then and then it was funny because um, we were like trying to come up with a name, and and Dave Lagana had a had a his brother in law's name was Richard Johnson. And I always used to laugh at that. I was like, oh, his name's Dick Johnson. Ha ha ha! And then I went and pitched that name to Vince, and he's like, no, how about Big Dick Johnson? It's
1: one of the greatest characters we've ever had.
2: No, it was.
1: It's one of these characters that the boys love. Yeah. <laughs> and you gotta watch. It's it's so entertaining. It was was character. uh
2: was Chris Farley the inspiration for that? Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh it was like a mixture of Chris Farley and Party Boy from Jackass, I think, were like the two big inspirations <laughs> for that character. I really went, I really went deep into method acting. Yes, yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> that you became
3: lifelong friend with our good buddy Jim Ross and, and, uh, oh yes I did I did become that, lifelong that friend that would be the highlight of Big Dick Johnson with with uh, Jim Ross I,
2: and a lot of that stuff was like never never even on TV or anything like that it was just it's one of the greatest things
3: ever ever we are in, in Oklahoma City if I believe and it was uh, JR of course JR's hometown and uh, and then yeah. always liked playing ribbed on JR in Oklahoma City. No matter what the rib
1: was, he always. JR, <laughs> I, I don't. Know, I don't know why Jerry. He never sold them or anything.
3: Never. never. <laughs> so tell us about the setup. There were JR. of what you're going to do or extend? Well,
2: no, most of it's. Most of the time, I would just surprise him. Um, like I think one time, I came because like Oregon had just defeated Oklahoma, and I came out and Oregon as an Oregon Duck, and he popped me in the head with the microphone. I had no idea that was going to happen. He but the, the, on that too, didn't he? Yeah, he did. <laughs> he busted me open, and <laughs> he always apologized afterwards. He's like, "I get it, I get it. You know, I'm, I, you know, I know it's not your fault, and you're just you're just doing this because uh, you know you're doing what you're told." I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, no hard feelings, Jr. You know, and uh, but one time I think it was New Year's Eve, and and I came out as a baby New Year, and I, I sprayed Jr. in the face with two bottles of champagne, and then I got up on the announce desk and just started shaking my junk in his face, and he just punched me dead square in the in the nuts and knocked me off the announce table.
3: <laughs> <laughs> he told me
2: I hit him as hard as I could. <laughs> he hit me pretty damn hard because I was like, I, I swear I was gonna like, I, I I was like nauseous after that hit. You know,
1: <laughs> the best <laughs> thing the best thing was Jr. turns to King because we're all watching backstage. <laughs> we think it's the greatest thing that's ever happened. <laughs> and Jr. turns to King and goes, "What's the over under?" I punch him in the balls, and, and, King, <laughs> and King says, "You won't do it." And Jr. turns and just <laughs> rifled you. In the ball sack. <laughs> and you went down like a sniper and shot you. It's like, oh, my God. You killed him. It's like you killed him. <laughs> you
3: were
2: on the table and you fell off. <laughs> he, he's still always you – know, every time I've seen him, he still apologizes for that. He's like, you know, that was a rough one. I didn't, I didn't mean to hit you so stiff. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to hit you so stiff.
1: He punched you in the balls. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
3: No That's the only thing that you can see was right in his face. <laughs> that's right. That's right.
1: In <laughs> fairness to JR, they, they were in his face. Yes, yes.
2: <laughs> Real close.
1: <laughs> <laughs> DJ, I wish you'd had a camera on the guys in the back because we're watching it. We think, oh, this is great. He's, he's getting that would way more all entertaining. Sudden, all of a sudden, he's like, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. He killed him. He killed him. <laughs> Stretcher. Go get Big Dick.
2: <laughs> Bring out the ambulance.
1: <laughs> so have you ever thought about like, doing like conventions as Big Dick, you know, like baby
2: oil and thong? And no, no. <laughs> oh. I have been I, I, ha, I have I have been asked a few times, but I've never really committed to it. Um but like I've played other characters. I'm like big brother and stuff like that. I play a grandma. I play angry guy. I play like an alien. I do all sorts of wacky stuff like that. Occasionally I make a cameo every year. I was a giant chicken last year. So, that, so there's obviously there's not much that I won't do for, for money. You know, I pretty much will do anything.
1: <laughs> you're you're talking to JBL who did anything and a, and a former stooge over there. So it's not, it's not like it's not like we're not in the exact same boat you are. <laughs> I did some shit out there for <laughs> oh
2: my god. <laughs> the best was telling the best was telling my mom uh that I was Big Dick Johnson. I told her on Christmas. <laughs> she was horrified. <laughs> She's like, what? Didn't do like, what? She... Well, she obviously at some point saw a picture or video, right? Well, I showed her the video on Christmas and it had been like I'd already been doing it for about six months and she had no idea. And she's like, Oh my God. She's like, Does, does the family know? I said, yeah, Most of them, most of them know.
3: <laughs> you were you're a college boy. Did you ever run into any of your old college mates after you had done that big dick Johnson? And...
2: Oh, all the time. All the time. What
3: was their reaction to you? You're crazy.
2: Yeah, most people say yeah, I'm crazy. Like, I mean, no, no matter where I go, no matter what, as soon as you Google me, it pops up. So I, I always have to answer to it and, and tell people, you know, it was it's a character. <laughs> you know, it's isn't that insane that you even have to tell people it's a character? Yes, yeah, because people think yeah, yeah that people even think like oh that's, like I was that I like just do that all the time. You know?
1: Yeah, I just walked <laughs> I walked through airports all baby old up in the fall <laughs> that Bruce Pritchard got me. Yeah, right. it's just <laughs> insane that you actually ever have to explain it to anybody. You're, you're on a TV show sure in a fall. <laughs> <laughs> there's a good chance, and you're and you're under the name Big Dick Johnson. There's a, there's yeah. a good chance it could be a work. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so after you left WWE, did you go to directly to
2: Lucha Underground? No. um, So I went into reality TV um, and I did um, I did about uh, I was doing like basically freelancing on all sorts of different reality shows. I did Redneck Island with Steve Austin. Um, I did actually did American Grit with John Cena um, and then like Big Brother and uh, various other shows and stuff like that. And then. I got approached about Lucha Underground from, uh, I, funny because I went for an interview to go work on Survivor. And um, the executive producer of Survivor there at the time is this guy, Matt Van Wagner. And he still is. And he's like, hey, like, we don't really have too many open positions on the show that you'd be qualified, like, that you'd probably be overqualified for the positions that we have. But my brother is actually working with Mark Burnett and Robert Rodriguez right now to try to create a wrestling show and you should go talk to them. And then I ended up going to talk to them. And uh, that's how we started to make Lucha Underground, which was really, really fun to do. And and Chavo worked with you as well, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. So like Chavo was like the first person I called because I knew he was out in LA and I thought that he could be really helpful to have around. And I always got along great with Chavo and, and, you know, I just think overall he's just he's just a, a a good guy, and I, I thought that he could really help make it <laughs> make it good. Plus, we we had like Conan there and stuff like that, and I didn't really trust him all that much, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. And uh, um, you know, I just needed some people in my court, so so that's kind of how that that went down. Did you
1: film the entire season before you aired it? How did that work? Mm, no.
2: We filmed – We filmed. well, we started with 10 episodes. They did an original order of 10, so we just shot 10 episodes when um, we really had, like, no clue. And then we ended up redoing all the backstage scenes to make them more, like um, – we were just watching them back, and they were just, like, very similar to, like, WWE, but with multi-cameras. So we decided since, like, Robert Rodriguez is – you know, the executive producer of these things, why don't we turn these scenes into like mini movies basically. So that's kind of like where the film look came from, like all those scenes and stuff that we did. And we like started to like kind of embrace that kind of like, um, you know, Robert Rodriguez style, Quentin Tarantino style movie, you know, with these kind of outlandish, crazy, weird storylines and, uh, you know, mythology and stuff like that. So that happened, and then we ended up getting. They ordered twenty nine more episodes after that. We did that whole first season, then we went right into season two, which we did thirty, and then we, they basically all rolled into each other, and then, uh, yeah, we ended on season four. They, and they never there was originally supposed to do seven, but but they uh, they cut it short. But we did one hundred and forty seven episodes, and it was a lot of fun.
1: How did it work out if you don't have a character that's not working? You know, I, I, you were in WWE and you understand, you know, real well, you, you know, yeah. you know every week if a character is working or not. You know, and I mean, sometimes, you know, Vince will, will pull a character during a sh- during the show, much less the next week. But if you yeah. have if you're doing 29 episodes and you figure out by episode 12 that a character is not working, what do you do?
2: <laughs> then we do, we, we, just have to rewrite and, but you're really only testing it in front of whatever that live audience that you have there. So there's only about 500 people there that you're using to, to judge if this character is working or not. Um, I mean, sometimes if we add characters that come out and like we would, we would just cut that scene. And then a few weeks later, we just shoot all those matches and storylines and redo them and then put them back in like, uh, for instance, like Paul London had did this character for us and just really was not working at all. And then we changed it and then put him basically recorded stuff afterwards and just put those pieces back into the shows earlier with kind of this different, with, with a different character that was working. So there was a lot of that sometimes where we have to come and a lot of times, we just rolled the dice and hoped that (laughs) hope to God that people would like it. I mean, we really didn't have too much of of a chance to change things, but if we could, we would at the last second here and there, especially like injuries and things like that happened. Like there was like literally scrambling, rewriting the show as it, as it was, as it happens. And then just having to adjust everything based on that. Like some, some things end up on the cutting room floor and we just have to go back and Re-record different parts. So that was hard too for the audience because sometimes I think they're a little confused as to what was happening and why things were happening because yeah, something may, may or may not have been working.
1: Right. Yeah. I, I, this, I've just always wondered that about the episodic television shows, you know, when you film an entire season and it, you know, if a character doesn't work, you just seem pigeonholed into you're pretty much you're stuck. I mean, there's, yeah. there's, not, there's not much you can do, you know, it's just uh you know, because wrestling is so live wrestling, you know, episodic is so different because you you know every week, you know you know every week if something's working. Then you go to the live event, which is so important for television because you can test out certain things that to see if the TV worked or not. You know, and you pretty much know right away if if it did or didn't. It just seems like it's a much tougher gig to try to write thirty episodes straight than it is to write
2: one, see, see what works, and write one again the next week especially and you don't know and then we were never getting any actual reaction to any of the backstage things because those were all shot separately so you, you didn't know if something like that you were doing backstage or storylines you, know, you know we you know we killed people on the show <laughs> like um, if that stuff was even going to work at all like i remember we killed the first person on the show and we were like oh my god it's, this could go one or two ways people are going to really hate it and they're going to think it's cool so <laughs> <laughs> luckily i think people liked that part so it was cool you know, I always wondered why we couldn't
1: do stuff like that in wrestling, not necessarily kill people, but it, <laughs> though there were a few, I wouldn't mind. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's always like, you know, you do stuff in television, you go, okay, you, you can kill people, you can do all this crazy stuff. But in wrestling, oh my goodness, that's not, that's not politically correct. You got to cut that out. Well, you yeah, got to be great. Right. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just a different standard for wrestling than it is for other television shows. Hell, sure. John, we killed Vince McMahon on TV. That's oh, that's right. Yeah. We, that's right, we did. Yeah, that's <laughs> right, we did. And Big Show got thrown off a building one time too, right? Yeah. Everybody's still upset that he lived. Hey. <laughs> I'm just I love Show. Uh, you know, the only thing that makes me mad is he wasn't here to hear me say that. Yeah. DJ, you were, when
3: we were talking about you coming on there, we we're talking about different stories and everything. I mentioned Eric Bischoff's name, and
2: you laughed. He said, "I got really funny stories." Oh, I'll never forget. So, so I was with uh, Hunter and Sean, and Eric Bischoff was like the referee, and they they bring me out, and uh, the the plan was that DX was going to put his face in my butt, basically. <laughs> of course, <laughs> but, they were. So, yeah. so, so, so before before the thing happened, I went up to Eric, and I'm like. Mr. Bischoff, like you know, real excited to be to be doing this thing, and he's like, "Well, I'm not too excited about it." I said, "But." I promise, I said, I'm going to clean really good down there before we do that. And he's like, oh, yeah, that really makes me feel better. That, I, <laughs> that really makes me feel better. <laughs> so I always I always laugh about that because I, I was just honestly trying to be nice. <laughs> but I, I guess I didn't really think about the fact that he was the one who's going to have his face shoved in my butt, you know, like. <laughs> so whenever you see like an old
1: WCW deal where he's like uh, in the Era, do you ever like tell your buddies, he was up my butt one time?
2: Oh yeah, all the time. <laughs> I, I I went to go interview for a few jobs jobs for him and for his company. Um, when he was doing some Discovery Channel stuff, and I feel like I never got the job, always just because because he was uh, he, he had to have his face put in my butt.
3: You saw a part of you that nobody
2: should see. Yep, <laughs> did
3: you, did you all up real good, DJ. That I did. That, that I,
2: did I was <laughs> yep. I was extra extra lubed up out there that day. <laughs> <laughs> Only in this business,
1: <laughs>
3: it's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think I have brought up all of all of our friends, you know, Eric, JR, and Bruce. And we don't have many more friends that we can kind of rip on <laughs> that we know <laughs> we, uh, something <laughs> DJ, what what are you doing
1: now? What, are you are you and are you still gonna are you gonna do anything in wrestling going forward? Do you ever wanna do more stuff in wrestling?
2: I mean, yeah, I actually, you know, it's funny. I've I've been talking to some people about potentially doing some stuff. Um it really just depends, I think, on, what, on what ha- what's happening. I'm still making reality shows. Um, I'm uh, I'm doing some um, production work for Turning Point USA and, and Charlie Kirk, and um, uh, they just put on some big live events and stuff like that. So I'm helping them with, with that that portion of thing, and it's it's been wonderful. I'm just kind of enjoying my life. I, I moved I moved to Arizona um uh yeah just kind of kind of slowing down a little bit you know because <laughs> I, I pushed the pedal to the metal quite a bit and it's, it's just been nice to uh kind of do things that i want to do now and uh, as opposed to like yeah do uh yeah just just work for the for the sake of working you know
1: yeah it's such a i don't think people understand the gig at wwe I mean, it is it, it is the treadmill that you're on
2: and it's it's and i went went back for eight months and and it was like so overwhelming to me and then uh i I just yeah it just was not not a good fit for me again i thought maybe i could be but it was nice because at first i was just doing like some freelance shots i would only have to go to smackdown just the tv like produce like roman reigns stuff or like or like you know or like King Corbin stuff or whatever, and then, I, I, then I'd be i be on a plane out of there, and I wouldn't have to do anything the whole week, and I could just fly back and do that. And I liked that portion of it, but once they had me start to do more of the stuff and be there and wait in meetings and be waiting until three o'clock in the morning to meet with Vince or something like that, I was like, this, this is just not this is not it. Like, I don't How do long
3: this. was your first run there, DJ? Seven years. Wow. Yeah,
2: think seven years.
3: Wow. Yeah. Seven years dude. Like you said. <laughs> There's no part time. There's no easing into WWE. When you when you when you sign on that dollar line, you're signing for twenty four seven.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah when, Bruce,
1: when Bruce went back, uh, you know, yeah. called me, and I was I was really excited that he had got back. You know, much as we kid Bruce, I love Bruce, and he's very talented, and yes. he gets along with Vince very well. You know, they're both yep. very very intelligent, creative guys. And I told Bruce, I said, you know, you're going to be living in Connecticut soon. And he goes, No, I'll never move back to Connecticut. <laughs> You've heard him say that, haven't you, Jerry? I'll never move back to Connecticut. <laughs> He's in Connecticut. He's in
2: Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> he bought a nice house in Connecticut.
1: <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I bet how long that
3: would be before he moved up there. And, then, uh, and that was quicker than both of us realized. <laughs> That's
2: right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I, I even said, I'm like, you're crazy. <laughs> Why are you doing this? Well, you, know, you
3: already know, man. <laughs> but John said it, man. He gets along so well with that. He probably, 100%. 100%. other than Pat Patterson, that gets along better than anybody I've ever seen. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And he, and, he, and he can take the workload. You know, he, he doesn't, they're, they're a good team. That that's the thing, you know. Bruce Bruce is not a lazy guy. I mean, he, no, he, he,
3: no, he, no. When when they, you're when when Bruce is on your side, you're going to get things done, whether you want to or not.
1: Jerry, you know about the only time that Bruce has a chance to call is when he's like in a car service going from home to the office. Yeah. yeah. So he's got like fifteen minutes, and you go, hey, hey, what are you doing? And you know, he I mean, he just wants to call. You know, which I'm yeah, glad he I does. Go, then I I got to go. Vince is calling.
3: <laughs> yeah. <that's right. laughs> There's three minutes of, of quietness, and all of a sudden, I got to go Vince's call. You where know he is.
1: <laughs> DJ, he was sick one time, and I uh, hear several months ago, they set up a monitor by his bed. I <laughs> <So that> he- <laughs>
3: yeah, was dying, man, and they set up a damn monitor by his bed so he could, do it, so he could be at the TV. <laughs> That's right. Oh my yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But well, you, DJ, uh, I, you're just
2: enjoying yourself now out and out in Arizona, and uh, I am. It, uh, my, my, I got my Arizona Cardinals here. I'm a big fan, you know. So I'm gonna get, I get to go to all the games this year. I'm super excited about that. You're um, gonna, so back this year, you're gonna have that Oki again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Kyler, he's gonna be back. But uh, it's funny because I think after like WrestleMania 26, I, I was I was like formulating it in my head. I was like, at the time, I think I told Ed Cosk. It was like, you know, what? after the show's over, I'm just going to walk out and I'm just going to stay here. And I never I never had that opportunity to do it. But now now I finally did. So I was like, you know, what? I'm going to be happy and, and, and move out there. It's nice. It's like 115 degrees today. But it's <laughs> you
3: know, the, 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 the great thing about it, uh, DJ. Is we all got to work with such a lot of wonderful people, you know, uh, John and I. I was Talent and our of office, but you know the group that uh, the, that the writers that you guys had were were classic guys. You know Dave Lagani, yourself. You know uh, Dave Kapoor. You know uh, Ed Kosti, and, and just Bruce and all all the other guys. Brian Diwerts and, and all the guys. I mean, it was a you guys made it fun to work with, them. and as as you experienced it, it's. A, Diff, very difficult on both sides when you get a new writer. And well, watch it because you know, we're all so skeptics about our business. As this guy yeah. take her serious? And you guys came in with that frame of mind, you respected the business, and, and that's the reason you made the seven years. Ago.
2: Yeah, and, and but I also, I mean, I, you guys were very open to, to, to being very kind to us too, you know, like especially, especially, you know, you, Mr. Briscoe, and 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 you, Bradshaw, like, like. You guys were very kind to us like took us out even like I mean, I, used to, I used to just love to come sit in gorilla and just talk to you Mr. Briscoe, every day just, even if even if it was just to complain for about 2 seconds you know just just to go in there and hide real quick and be like I can't I take was like this
3: a priest in there confessional <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly
2: it's exactly what it was
1: that's the first time Jerry's ever been compared to a priest <laughs> And the last time, dude, <laughs>
2: <laughs> just go see, just go see Father Briscoe, just to vent, vent real quick. Because man, there,
3: there would be days of like, man, I can't take this anymore. If you're one guy that never hit your time, dude. <laughs> never, <laughs> no, never.
2: <laughs> you would always get, always get on me. I, 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 if I did, though, I would, I would make sure to make a point of it that I hit my times, but I rarely ever did. Well,
3: did, Jay, man, uh, John and I are just thrilled to death that you took the time today, you know, to, to come on here. We we just like to get on and, and just have a conversation like we did. We're just telling stories and, and get, a, get a laugh for ourselves, if nothing else.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I appreciate it. And thanks for having me on. It's been so great to talk to you guys again. And, uh, you know, I, I love that you welcomed me on here. And, and uh, uh, you know, I, I love to watch this show, too. It's hilarious. It always pops up on my LinkedIn.
1: <laughs> it's great to, it's great to see you we had so much fun you're always so much fun to be around i really did love the big dick johnson's character but i love i love chris and joseph too we, we, had, we, had a lot of, we had a lot of fun and, and it's yes sir it's great to see you and it's one thing jerry and i love about the show is catching up with really good friends and
2: uh
1: it, it's like no time
2: has elapsed you know it just, you just have sure <laughs> hey I have, I have one question for you is brian gortz still got you paying for those mets tickets
1: Oh, my goodness. Yes, he does. (laughs) Who do you think paid for freaking uh, cones, a $290 million payroll tax? It was me. And and the seats were actually above the LaGuardia flight plan, flight glide plan coming in. Mr. Met looked like a normal sized baseball from the seats that we were in. We needed a Sherpa. To get to our seats, they were so far (laughs) up. The game would actually end like an hour before we would see it where we were because we were so far away. And the Mets lost the playoffs, the last game of the year, both seasons we had season tickets.
2: Of course, they lost.
1: We found out about a month later because that's where we got news for our seats. For that's hilarious. I used to take pictures from a satellite of Shea Stadium, and I'd send it to Brian. And go here. Here's a picture from our seats, and he would he always. We had great seats. They were low seats. They were.
2: That's hilarious.
1: Absolutely.